0: Good job, everybody. You have come so far with me, and we're on the last chapter. So I'm doing this little pre-recording to say thank you and tell your homework assignment and then also give you a little warning about the chapter. There's been, you know, so much wonderful connection during this entire book club and hundreds of people listening, and it's just absolutely beautiful to see. Please keep sharing the podcast and let people know, and your assignment is to let me know what you want me to do next. What are we going to do together next on this podcast? Because if we're not really doing it together, it doesn't feel good to me. I want to do this with you. So let me know what you're interested in doing next. Finally, cringe warning. Uh, Steiner, over a hundred years ago, wrote this material. I don't have the original translations. This chapter, he makes me want to barf a little bit. Um, (laughs) He talks about white and black magic, which is not racialized in this context, but those words are racialized for us in our culture and can be very damaging. So you'll hear people say white magic, black magic. It's kind of used that way in this chapter. So just a little warning about that. And then also he talks about a pure humanity and talks about this in terms of races evolving into a pure humanity. So watch out for that one as well. Um, I think we know that Steiner talks about prejudice. He talks about understanding. He talks about equity, and he does that throughout his works, but he does use this term in this chapter. So um, I'm going to let you read that and grapple with it a bit and see how you come to terms with it. Thank you for coming along on this ride with me, and I can't wait to do the next thing with you, whatever that is. Welcome to That Good May Become with me, Laura Scappaticci, where we learn to illuminate the esoteric in our everyday lives. Oh my goodness. Hi everyone. It's Laura and we are here to disrupt materialism about understanding the spiritual side of life and guess why? It's oh my goodness. It's oh my goodness because we're on the last chapter of How to Know Higher Worlds by Rudolf Steiner. And its title sums it up, Life and Death, The Great Guardian of the Threshold. If you've come this far with me listening to this podcast as we did this book club, thank you so much. You are like totally ready to meet the guardian. (laughs) I mean, no, like who is really ready to re- meet the guardian? I can't imagine anyone. But, um, well, some people, there are some initiates walking the earth. We know that the last guardian that we talked about was really something that showed up for us more in um, the sensible world, came at us and let us see our past errors. And we had a job to sort of perfect its form through acts of good and by walking this esoteric path. Now we have this next guardian that is, I'm going to read a passage from that guardian that is really a being of light and is the next step in the development. So um, here's a little bit of a quote to remind us that the sensible world we live in, the world of our senses is really important. We gain an understanding of the importance of it through walking this path and seeing that there's another world. So if you think of movies like, oh, I don't know, like maybe the never ending story. Did you guys watch that movie? <gasps> Remember the nothing? That was so scary. I think that's like what Steiner calls the abyss, but you know, there's this beautiful character, spiritual character at the end, but the main character realizes Atreyu that he has to go back to the earthly world and face his fears. And that there's value in everyday life and, you know, ice cream and holding someone's hand. So I'll redo this passage and hopefully you will get that picture of why it's so important for us to enjoy the sensory world we live in. In other words, one of the most important experiences we gain from initiation is that we learn to know and to treasure the value of the visible sense perceptible world Better than we could before our esoteric training. Indeed, only through insight into the supersensible worlds do we realize the value of the sense perceptible world. A person who has not experienced this insight, thus perhaps believe that the supersensible regions are infinite, incomparable worth, may underestimate the sense perceptible world. But those who have had insight into the supersensible world know that without their experiences in the visible world, they would be quite powerless in the invisible world. So there you have it. It's really, really important to just value where we are and that, that we, we grow in our understanding of the richness of the, the sense world as we go on this path. At the bottom of page 197, he goes on. When we enter the supersensible worlds, life takes on a completely new meaning for us. This is the result of all our work. We see that the sensible world is the fertile soil, the living medium or substratum of a higher world. Indeed, in a certain sense, this higher world seems incomplete without the lower one. Two vistas then open before us, one into the past, the other into the future. We see into a past in which this physical sensible world did not yet exist. The prejudice that the supersensible spiritual world developed out of the sensible material world lies far behind us now. We know that the supersensible world came first and that the sensible physical world developed out of it. This is, you hear this in a lot of like new age um, philosophy that what we have in front of us is sort of illusion or, or maya and just comes from this uh, super sensible spiritual place And that. Um, I don't think that's what Steiner is saying here. He is saying that one sort of led to the other, but it's really important to, to value both. Uh, there's a lot about um, death in this chapter. It is in the title of the chapter. So I'm going to talk about a little bit about that as well. All right, he says on page 199, hence, as human beings, we have a double nature, mortal and immortal. Like, what? Okay, this is so interesting to me. He goes on about this for quite some time. He says, we bear within ourselves the elements of a dying world. These elements work within us. Can you remember back uh, death and decay and growth? Mm, all the way going back to chapter one here, yet gradually with the help of the new immortal elements awakening within us, we are able to break their power. In this way, our path takes us from death to life. Hmm. Hence, as human beings, I'm going to say it again, we have a double nature, mortal and immortal. In a way, I I think of a plant and the seeds. So the seeds are within the plant and and the plant is dying, but that immortality is still there and living because that plant is going to go on. So that's just kind of one way I think about this immortal and immortal balance. And I could be totally wrong about that. I mean, come on. Seriously, I'm out of my depth by the last chapter. Let's be honest here, but I'm just going to keep sharing it with you. He does talk about illness a bit. So if you're interested in that, that's on page 200. Here's a little more about mortality and immortality. We will not therefore find anything immortal in our instincts, drives, and passions, nor in the organs belonging to them. We will find Im- immortality only in what appears as their product, in the work done by these organs. Only when we have drawn out of this perishable world all that there is to drawn out of it, we. Will be able to cast aside the foundations we have outgrown, which manifests itself in the physical sensible world. Thus, the first guardian of the threshold replicates our dual nature as human beings, consisting of mixed mortal and immortal elements. And thereby, this guardian clearly reveals to us what still needs to be done to obtain the sublime light form capable of dwelling again in the world of pure spirit. So remember, here we are having to work with that first guardian. It's making it super clear how we're like entangled with the physical world still because we have these um, drives and passions and these egotistical desires. This is where I have like, uh-oh, 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 <laughs> written in the margins. That's when he starts to go into saying that people embraces, after all, nearly develop different developmental stages, um, in our evolution towards a pure humanity, that sounds totally scary, Steiner. What were you talking about? Um, the Nazis tried to kill him, or the proto Nazis tried to kill him, so we, he's not a Nazi. But uh, I don't know; this language was all over the fa- all over the place. But you're going to hear again at the end of this chapter. He's like, uh, let, "Let's just get there." And if you can stay with me, you'll see this motivation of love again. So it's kind of crazy to have these things juxt- juxtapose. This is also a translation, no excuses. I don't know what he was saying, but again, yuck. All right. So let's see what is up with the greater guardian. Okay, here's a little bit, and then I'll I'll read the whole greater guardian passage, just like I did with the lesser guardian in the last chapter. After we have recognized in the lesser guardian those things from which we need to free ourselves, a magnificent form of light comes to meet us on the path. So I asked some of you last time, you know, what did the lesser guardian look like to you? Some of you sent me pictures of my Gael and the dragon and these beings, and that was really amazing. So I ask you this time, what does the greater guardian look like to you? All right, here's the very long passage on page 202. Thank you for dealing with my coughing. You have freed yourself from the world of the senses. You've earned the right of citizenship in the supersensible world. From now on, you may work from there. For yourself, you no longer need your physical bodily nature in its present form. If all you wanted was to acquire the capacity to dwell in the supersensible world, you would never need to return to the world of the senses. Look at me. See how immeasurably I am raised above all that you have already made of yourself up to now? You have reached your present stage of completion by means of faculties that you were able to develop in the sense world while you were still dependent upon it. Now you are entering a time when the powers you liberated must continue to work upon this sense world until now you have worked only to free yourself but now that you are free you can help free all your fellow human beings in the sense world up to now you have striven as an individual now you must join yourself to the whole so that you may bring with you into the supersensible realm not only yourself but also, all else that exists in the sensible world. Someday, you will be able to unite with my form, but I myself cannot find perfect blessedness as long as there are others who are still unfortunate. As a single, liberated individual, you could enter the realm of the supersensible today, but then. You would have to look down upon those sentient beings who are not yet freed. You would have separated your destiny from theirs. But you are linked together with all sentient beings. All of you had to descend into the world of the senses to draw from it the powers required for a higher world. Were you to separate yourself from your fellow beings, you would misuse the powers you are able to develop only in concert with them. If they had not descended into the sense world, you would not have been able to descend either. Without them, you would lack the powers you need for supersensible existence. You must share with the others the powers that you achieved with them. Therefore, I refuse to admit you to the highest regions of the supersensible world. Until you have used all your powers for the deliverance of your fellow world and fellow beings. What you have a- already achieved entitles you to dwell in the lower regions of the supersensible world. But I will stand at the doorway to the higher regions, like the cherubim with the flaming sword before the gates of paradise. I will deny you entry as long as you still have powers that you have not put to use in the sense world. If you do not use your powers, others will come who will put them to use. Then a high, super-sensible world will incorporate all the fruit of the sensible realm, but the ground you stand on will be pulled out from under your feet. Okay. Whoa. Whoa. I'm thinking I got a little more work to do. Um, I'm trying to think of like where we see this metaphor of if you haven't used your powers for good, (laughs) you you cannot ascend. I mean, obviously we hear this in the Bible and all these stories, um, but it's a pretty powerful passage. Now, I did stop a couple sentences from the end because then he starts to talk about um, the black path and the white path. And so when I think about this, I think of, you know, people say like black magic or dark magic. And I believe that's what he's talking about here. So what he's saying is this dark path or black path, as he calls it, is when you are trying to ascend for your own selfish selfish reasons. So uh, he goes on to say... Should we therefore decide to meet the demands of this higher being of light, we will be able to contribute to the liberating of the human race. We will then offer up our gifts and talents on the sacrificial altar of humanity. But if we prefer our own premature ascent into the supersensible world, then the stream of humanity will pass over and beyond us. Once we have liberated ourselves, we can no longer win any new powers for ourselves from the world of the senses. If therefore we still place our work at the disposal of the sense world, we do so knowing that we are thereby renouncing any gain for ourselves from the place of our future effort. But even when the choices are presented so clearly, it cannot be said that taking the white path is a matter of course. What we choose after all depends on whether we have, this goes back to the other chapters, sufficiently purified ourselves of all traces of selfishness. So that at the time of making the decision, the allure of personal salvation and blessedness no longer tempts us. So he's saying, we're doing this for others. This is not for ourselves. And he's been saying this the whole time. So I'm just looking a little bit further into the end of this book and there's an epilogue, but let me just finish up this chapter um, with this quote. Clearly, therefore, we must not expect occultists on the white path to provide any instruction for the development of our egotistic eye. They have no interest whatsoever in the bliss and salvation of the individual. As far as a white occultist is concerned, each one of us must attain such salvation for ourselves. It is not their task to accelerate this process. What matters to them is the evolution and liberation of all beings human beings, and their fellow beings. Therefore, their task is only to indicate how we can train our powers for collaboration in this work. Whoa, my friends, that is it. He just sums it up at the end of this book, in this end of this chapter, bringing it all back to getting right inside ourselves and how we see the world and how we act to not just human beings, but all the beings around us. And I take that to mean the spiritual beings, plants, animals, elementals, everything around us is about kindness and patience and selflessness and not like selflessness. Like I forfeit myself for everybody else. And I'm totally codependent. Um, (laughs) That's kind of a term we would use today, but in in a different way, in the way that we perceive and see the world and, and the mission of humanity. I am super duper grateful you've been with me this whole time. Please message me and tell me what you thought of the book. I'm sorry to end on like this crazy chapter with um, all these old terms in it, but I hope you've come along for the ride in a beautiful way and it feels good to you. I would suggest you read the epilogue a little bit. He talks about, um, you know, superstition and medium, mediumism and all of these things and how they're a path through the body. But in anthroposophy, you're really using thought as well. And uh, he, he does, he does a great job in here, um, just summing up and sort of addressing the issues of our time uh, and, you know, the issues that we still have today with people, Um, ascending to these paths in a way that's not uh, so structured. And I think there's a quote in here that I should probably end with that he says that it just really cracks me up because he's basically saying nobody really wants to work hard uh, to, to reach this path, but we have to. So let me see if I can, let me see if I can find it there. Here it is. (laughs) <laughs> they believe that because they have to prepare themselves for its revelation, they have actually produced its content by themselves. In other words, for the most part, people prefer to have passive experiences that require no effort on their part. So he's saying, you know what, you got to work for it. And I think that's what we've also seen in this book. And I have been trying to work so hard. And I don't know if my perception actually, I th- I think I have had um, heightened perception and understanding mm-hmm. through reviewing the book with you. So uh, let me know what you want me to do next. Do you want me to do this book again next summer? I did hear from some of you and you said yes. You want me to take on another book, some lectures? What do you want me to do? I'll tell you what I'm up to next. I am heading to the Gertianum for the World Conference, which essentially is on the future of Anthroposophy. So if you have ideas and thoughts on the future of Anthroposophy, please let me know. Send them to me. Send me your good wishes. I'll be posting pictures on Instagram from the Gertianum, and I am forever grateful for all the people that have been in touch with me through the course of this book club. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'll talk to you all again soon. I don't know what I'll be talking about, but I'll be talking about something. Bye.